the temperature drop this weekend. September is at its close. The air is crisp. While for some reason there are these random air horn noises coming from beyond my backyard, I'm taking it as a call to action. We as a people must put aside our tank tops and our sandals and unearth the chunky cable knits and fuzzy flannels in the back of our closets because fall is officially upon us. It is a time for picking apples and pumpkins and putting Thanksgiving and Christmas decorations out entirely too early, and I am here for it. As I stand in this so-called garden of mine, which is not really a garden, I feel like an architect surveying a lot before breaking ground. I'm looking out onto this barren plot of mulch. I am eager to draw up a blueprint for fall, but first I need a better sense of what's possible. Will I grow Brussels sprouts or beets? Cabbages or lettuce? And which of these beautiful creatures will I accidentally overwater? Only time will tell, my friends. But as I stand here with my bag of seeds and my trusty spade, I am ready for whatever fall brings. But mostly pumpkin pie. Hey there, I'm Mungesh Atikadur, co-host of Part-Time Genius, one of the founders of Mental Floss, and this is Humans Growing Stuff, a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at miracle Grow. My goal is to make this the most human show about plants you'll ever listen to. And along the way, we'll share relatable experiences, inspiring stories, tips and tricks to nurture your plants, and just enough science to make you sound like an expert. In today's episode, with summer's harvest coming to a close, we'll share new gardening opportunities that await in the fall, because there's plenty you can do over the course of the next few months that don't involve squashes or even warty gourds. But also, can you grow pumpkins for Halloween if you're quick enough? I have no idea, but I do know there's a cornucopia of plants that you can grow and harvest and see pop up again in the spring without having to replant. Chapter 2, Legends of the Fall Garden. When I think of fall, the first thing that comes to mind are pumpkin spice lattes. And don't at me because I know they're basic, but PSLs, as they're known in my house, are also delicious. But the truth is, I wish I could be as excited about fall gardening as I am about fall beverages. So I called up my friend Jade to share the hottest fall planting trends, everything I should know about so I can apply my PSL vibes to my growing too. Hey everyone, I'm Jade, the Black Plant Chick and Plant Care Consultant. I think this fall, the pumpkin spice plant or latte plant would be the pothos. That is one plant that it grows anywhere and it's beautiful and it even will grow for you possibly slowly but it will grow um, over the fall and it's just a beautiful plant to watch it's very low maintenance so for those of us who have plans for traveling um, this is one plant that you won't have to worry about if you are not home for a long period of time but what about fiddly figs those are super trendy right now right They're trendy for a person who is not afraid of them. So they're great to look at, but some people are really afraid of fiddly figs. 
I have been given the name of the fiddle leaf fig tree guru because I teach a workshop on it. Most of my consultations are about the fiddle leaf fig. They are my favorite plants. Um, but the snake plant is a great plant to grow. I mean, it can grow in almost any condition. But over the fall, a lot of people are just really focused on their plants that they've gotten over the summer and spring to really, really survive throughout. Because there's so many novice plant parents out there, they're just kind of like, ah, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Right after I chat with Jade, my producer Molly and I started talking about the whole ridiculousness of this pumpkin spice season. And then we started debating, if you start now, can you grow a tiny pumpkin in time for Halloween? Not a huge one, but like a little decorative one. So I looked it up and it made me laugh how little I know about because of course you can't. Like a month and a half isn't enough time to grow a pumpkin. I mean, you have those farmers in Alaska who grow 2,000-pound pumpkins, and that did not start in September. And now, for a mindful meditation moment in the garden. Today's practice is going to help us focus on growing pumpkins. So, take a seed in the dirt. Feel the weight of the pumpkin seeds in your hand. Feel their smooth flatness with your fingers. And take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. You can keep your eyes open or closed, whatever works for you. No judgment here. And now, tell yourself this mantra out loud or in your head. If I want to grow pumpkins in time for Halloween, I have to plant them in July. One more time. Now take those seeds and save them for next summer. Namaste. I used to live in Atlanta, and my favorite thing to do was to walk to the farmer's market every Sunday morning at Grant Park. It was a ritual. We'd put out a picnic blanket, hang with friends, and inevitably we'd come home with this gorgeous little bounty of fresh vegetables. And to be honest, there's nothing more fun than being inspired by fresh ingredients. But I've been curious about how things stay fresh year-round. How do the seasons change the soil and growth potential of various plants and vegetables? And how can we take advantage of what each season offers to maximize our chef skills in the middle of, say, I don't know, a blizzard? I'm hoping that my next guest can answer a lot of these questions. So I am so lucky to be here talking with Vivian Howard. Vivian hosts the incredible PBS show A Chef's Life and Somewhere South, which I'm now obsessed with. She has several cookbooks and has this incredible story of leaving the fancy New York City restaurant scene and moving to start a farm-to-fork restaurant in Kinston, North Carolina. It's the celebrated uh, chef and the farmer. I just read you were the first woman since Julia Child to win a Peabody for a cooking program, which just blew my mind. So, Vivian, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. 
I love watching people come into your kitchen and, and share these deep family stories and, and recipes. And I've got to say the pickling episodes, the sour pickles and the beets, those are some of my favorite ones just because it feels like something I can do with my family and, and also with my friends. It feels like a communal activity. What should we, what should we be pickling right now? Well, I think green tomatoes are a great ingredient right now. If you happen to have a garden and you have tomatoes hanging there that are not going to ripen, I think cabbage is, you know, one of the most unsung heroes of our kitchens and our gardens. I love pickling beets. I think they're a beautiful color. They have, you Mm -hmm. know, tremendous health benefits it's almost easier to talk about what not to pickle. <laughs> well, yeah, that, actually, that's good. But what shouldn't we pickle? <laughs> Nothing that's soft. So, you know, red tomatoes that are ripe and juicy, don't pickle mm. those. Um, asparagus makes a terrible pickle. <laughs> but you want to pickle something with a crunchy texture You know, one of the things that we pickle in the restaurant are stems, Swiss chard stems, collard stems, something that you would often throw away if you've cooked the leaves. But the stems, you know, sliced into small pieces with a vinegar brine poured over them Uh create, you know, a crunchy condiment that would otherwise have been wasted. Oh, that's so incredible. My mouth's watering hearing you talk about all these uh, different (laughs) things. As someone who's a novice at both gardening and cooking, how would you encourage someone to get started? Um, Well, I think with gardening, there is a, you know, a barrier to entry. But the positive thing is, is that seeds cost very little. (laughs) Putting a seed in the ground and hoping that it comes up is, is not a big commitment. And, you know, as long as you get your soil ready and you make sure what you're planting is the right time of year, I would always start with easy things like, you know, radishes, you know, you can plant them and they pop up in a matter of days. And so that's, you know, kind of instant gratification. So in some ways, I think gardening is even more approachable than than cooking. That's amazing. You know, I have... Uh, several friends, many of them live in New York, who prior to COVID were using their oven as, you know, a place to store their cosmetics. And when, you know, they were in lockdown, they're like (laughs) texting me, like, how do I cook for myself? Where do I start? I want to make shrimp scampi. I'm like, don't start with that. Uh, <laughs> let's get some eggs. Let's learn how to scramble some eggs. That's that's all super helpful and, and encouraging. So you've said that you started your show, Chef's Life, partially because you were fixated on, on documenting dying food traditions. Um, well, you know, I, I think when I was just getting started at Chef and the Farmer, the book, The Art of Fermentation by Sandor Katz was, you know, the thing that every chef was reading, you know, across the nation. And I walked outside my door one morning and there was this uh, Ziploc bag sitting on the front doorstep that had this like these dark green leaves floating in this like milky liquid. And I thought, oh, my God, what is that? My dog wouldn't even get near it. It smelled so bad. (laughs) And I called my dad and he said, that's collard kraut, Vivian. That's a gift. It's not a prank. My little geeky chef brain just blew up because, you know, I'm trying to learn about these ancient techniques from this book. And, you know, these old folks down the road for me 
are making kraut with collards. You know, that that really inspired me to to look deeper at the food traditions in Eastern North Carolina. And, and I felt this urgency to tell people about it. I was watching an interview where you said, whatever season is next is what you're most excited for. What, what are you excited to cook most in, in the fall? We love summer produce, right? But if you think about it, there's nothing green about summer. You know, you've got corn and, and summer squash and tomatoes, but I hmm. find myself at the end of summer really salivating for, you know, intensely green greens. And one of these dishes that I encouraged my friends who had to start using their ovens for other things other than cosmetic storage was <laughs> to, you know, buy some greens, chop them up, saute them with a little bit of garlic, maybe add a little bit of chopped tomato, cook some pasta, throw that in with some pasta water, a little Parmesan cheese, and maybe a little butter or olive oil. And you've got something that you might actually eat in a restaurant. I, I'm still laughing about that, uh, the cosmetics above the, yeah. <laughs> the oven. It's real. But, did you ever garden when you were in, in New York? Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) I moved to New York to get as far away from anything Eastern North Carolina or childhood related as I could. And Uh um, it really took me coming back here and slowing down and and seeing the the wisdom and, and the resourcefulness of the people that live here to appreciate that sort of thing again. And now I'm like, obsessed with my yard and all my house plants. And I'm, I look at caring for those as a a type of therapy. Can you talk about what your garden means to you or your house plants? About 10 years ago, I started rescuing orchids from, (laughs) (laughs) from, you know, office buildings or friends would have an orchid whose spike had you know, died and they thought the whole plant was dead. And I'm like, oh my God, that costs you $30. Give me that thing. <laughs> and so I, I started taking the orchids and putting them in my bathroom. And over the course of a year or two, I ended up with like 30 orchids that live in my bathroom and love the steam from my shower. It's one of my greatest pleasures to see the orchids like produce a spike me and my kids get a lot of pleasure from moving the orchids around the house after they've bloomed. And this little piece of peace, if you will, that I share with myself in my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, can, can, can you tell me, you know, going back to farming a little bit, like, like why is farm to table or farm to fork so important to you? And what's the biggest difference you notice in the way you cook now versus the way you cooked when you were maybe in your career in New York City? You know, I love cooking from straight from the farm for a number of reasons. I think that having a connection to your food source really makes you value those ingredients more. I also think that the quality is, is better it keeps me really nimble as a cook because, you know, if I put a dish on the menu that is all about K2 
Caraflex cabbage. And, you know, my farmer says, you know, this is the last of that. Then I have to get creative with what to do next. And it's exciting. I love your use of the word nimbleness, not just for how you react, but also how the farmers are are moving. And I saw it on that one episode where this gentleman was growing corn, I think, for moonshine, and then all of a sudden started growing field peas. It, it didn't occur to me just how flexible like farmers are and how they're constantly experimenting, even in small ways. Yeah, and you know, another piece to that is that field peas and legumes in general are, they're very good for the soil. So they're replenishing nutrients in the soil. So you may grow something like tomatoes or corn, which really takes a lot out of the soil. And then in order to give back to it, you plant something like field peas. If you're going to take away, you have to give back. And I, I think in that episode, he was talking about perhaps growing corn and letting the, the peas grow around it. And, and I just thought how inventive that, that idea was and, and that it would never occur to me, of course. There's a lot of practice of that, you know, planting marigolds around your, your summer garden to prevent bugs from attacking your produce. There's all kinds of natural things you can do to make it more successful. I also am a big fan of bronze fennel, which is a culinary herb that uh, lives all year long and it adds a nice licorice note to dishes. And it's a surprising flavor to have. I'm a big fan of rosemary and sage and mint, which if you plant them outside, they come back every year. Um, You can also plant them inside. But I think if you're serious about cooking and serious about saving money and serious about gaining confidence in the kitchen, like having a little arsenal of live herbs in your windowsill is one of the things you can do that'll make a dramatic difference in your cooking. But one of the things I I love about what you do is that you're such a good storyteller. But I, I know that works its way into your menus, too. Do you have any ideas for a, a Halloween dinner? Oh, well, you know, it's funny you say that because we Chef and the Farmer's been closed since March, but we're opening our porch. Uh, one of the porch plates that we're trying to get ready to do is an oyster roast, which is something we do in the fall here. Live coals, oysters in the shell that, you know, open up with smoke and um, take on some of that charred flavor. It looks so beautiful just see, seeing it on on film. Like, it, it looks Yeah, incredible. and it's like there's all these sensory experiences with it, you know, throwing the burlap sack over the oysters so they steam a little bit, makes this beautiful sound and this spectacle. And then everybody shucking oysters and adding whatever condiment they want. And, you know, my kids just dip saltines in butter <laughs> rather than, you know, having the oysters. That sounds so fun. Vivian, it's, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. And, and I'm so excited to read your new cookbook. Would you mind telling everyone the name again and where they can get it? This Will Make It Taste Good is 10 chapters of essentially condiments and then like 10 to 12 ways to use it. 
cooking with condiments, as many of us have learned through COVID, can really make simple food very exciting. And it comes out October 20th, but you can pre-order it if you go to VivianHoward.com. Well, I, I've loved the pages I've skimmed. I, I can't wait to get it in the mail. And, and I'm so excited to have chatted with you. Thank you so much, Vivian. Thank you. Thank you. And now for another trip to Poetry Corner. This piece is called Red Tomato, Green Tomato. Tomato, tomate, go. Tomatoes that grow and grow. Red means ripe for picking. Green means ripe for pickling. But what happens when you don't grow? I weep, then order chicken. Thank you. I know what you're thinking. Mango, it's about to get real cold soon. Some of my beautiful plants are not meant to live that frost life. And I hear you. Plants are fragile and they're going through a lot of changes. So I'm treating them like my kid getting into second grade with a lot of nurturing and encouragement and the acknowledgement that we're going to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Since we know I don't have the answers for you, I've also asked Jade to share her top five tips for transplanting some of those more delicate plants indoors. Yeah! Today I'm going to talk to you about my five tips for transitioning your outdoor plant inside for the fall. Tip number one, plan weeks before the temperature drops and establish where in your home this plant will live. And you wanna make sure that in your home, you're not putting them next to a window that will receive a draft um, during the fall months. Also wanna make sure that the plant that you are transitioning from outside, where was it sitting? Was it in the sun getting direct sunlight? If so, you want to slowly transition it into areas that are a little bit darker or have more shade. Two. Tip number two, ask yourself, is this plant healthy enough to live inside? If it's yellowing outside or wilting because it's dying or it's too hot, you may not want to bring a struggling plant indoors. Three. Tip number three, inspect your plant for pests, anywhere from gnats to spiders to worms and caterpillars. And so it's important to thoroughly get in there. You may have to use a magnifying glass, but you want to look at those leaves up and down. You could risk those healthier plants being infected as well. Four. Step four, determine if repotting is necessary. Your plant may have grown significantly outside, so it may be time to repot. Five. Tip number five, which is just as important as the other tips, Give the plant time to acclimate to your indoor space. So this plant was living outside. It may have been receiving rain periodically, the sun beaming on it. Well, you want to give it time before you begin to put it on a new watering schedule when it's in your house. Just leave it alone for a few days. Watch it. Make sure that it is still healthy before you pick it back up on a new schedule now that it's in your home. All right, everyone, I am Jade, the Black Plant Chick and Plant Care Consultant, and you just heard my five tips for transitioning your outdoor plants inside for the fall. Until next time, love, peace, and propagate.
It is so fun to be able to pick up the phone and just call up experts like Jade and Vivian. In fact, hearing Vivian talk about pickling and the ease of growing radishes and how she and her kids move her orchids around like this activity, it got me excited to hang out with my assistant gardener. I'm not your assistant, I'm your co-gardener. So we headed out to our backyard. Okay, let's put some seeds in. And maybe add a little bit of water. Yeah. And then yeah. let's uh, let's cover this up. <laughs> Curious, do you know what we're planning today? Uh, radishes? Uh-huh, yeah. I've got a great story about radishes. You want to hear it? Sure. So Dr. Seuss actually used to plant radishes in his pipe so that it would stop him from smoking. And anytime he felt like he wanted to smoke, he would water it with a little eyedropper. And so he'd have tiny radish plants growing out of his pipe. Isn't that funny? Yeah. But do you like eating radishes? Mm, I, I kind of, <laughs> kind of not like. Yeah. Kind of. I think it'll be fun to have them. I mean, I like, the only thing I like is pickled radishes. Well, we, should, we can definitely pickle them. This chef I was talking to, Vivian, she was telling me that one of the fun things about radishes is that they come up pretty soon. It only takes like three weeks for them to come up. And my other friend, Bear Tunde, was telling me that when he was a kid, the first thing he, he put in his garden was radishes. Oh, you're going to take the big shovel now? Yep. Okay. You think with everything we're doing here that all the other gardens are going to get jealous? Because this is going to be such an awesome garden? Nope. Because <laughs> every different garden has different things. Like they're all special in their own way? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're gardening radishes. Uh-huh. Our neighbors, which I play with a lot, are gardening flowers. And actually, they also garden delicious, juicy tomatoes. Well, how long do you think it'll take before these things sprout up, Rubes? About three weeks. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be counting? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago, I read this thing from this legendary editor, Peter Kaplan. He said, if you're struggling with writer's block, which I often do, just write a bunch of beginnings. And when you've got a dozen of them on the page, maybe you can string them together. Or maybe you can step back and admire all these beautiful starts and think, isn't that a wonderful thing? I think about his advice a lot. People like to talk about the fall like the year is closing up shop. And there is truth there. The days are shorter. Light is getting scarce. But I realize now fall can be about beginnings too. It's a good time to let trees take root. And it doesn't have to be outdoors either. You know, Jade showed us there are always things to bring inside. Today, I'm surrounded by beginnings. I have a little patch of radishes, and don't tell Ruby, but I don't really have high hopes for them. We're starting a little herb garden by the window, and their prospect seems a little better. There are houseplants all over the living room now, and it's so joyous and so much greener, and I love that the whole family can delight in that. And then there's this little chaos garden I'm starting. For myself, really. Have you heard about chaos gardens? Basically, you gather all your old seeds, leftovers from old packets, and you toss them into a pot of soil, and then you water them, and then you just wait. 
And the truth is, a chaos garden feels like a metaphor for life right now. Between virtual schooling and work, trying to keep up with parents and friends, and also just figuring out dinner, I feel like I can't keep up. But in all this chaos, I like that I can scatter a few disparate seeds and do it just for the fun of it, and that sometime in the future, I'll have this weird surprise to look forward to, because no matter what shoots up, whether it's lettuce or a flower or some unexpected herb that wins this ridiculous race to sprout, I know it'll make me smile. Because it's another nice beginning. That's it for today's episode. Don't forget, whether you're a beginner like me, a pro trying something new, or someone in between enjoying your community garden, there are incredible resources waiting for you on the Miracle Grow website. Just visit miraclegrow.com. That's miraclegro.com. Or click on the link in our show notes. Next time on our show, we'll dig into gardening in an urban environment, talking through how, with a little elbow grease and a lot of determination, we can still garden inside a studio apartment. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And we want to hear from you. What are your inspiring plant stories and relatable struggles and growing questions? Tag us in your post or tweet using the hashtag humansgrowingstuff. And you may just hear your story featured on an upcoming episode. Humans Growing Stuff is a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at Miracle Grow. Our show is written and produced by Molly Sosha and me, Mungesh Hatigler, in partnership with Ryan Ovedia, Daniel Ainsworth, Haley Erickson, and Garrett Shannon of Banter. Till next time, thanks so much for listening.